Today's episode is sponsored by Struggle Snuggles Ball Pythons. Struggle Snuggle is a small hobbyist breeder who wants to share the joy of ball pythons with new and experienced snake enthusiasts. Struggle Snuggle offers different types of morphs and standard non-morph pythons. Struggle Snuggle will offer insight on the first-time python owners and is available via email for questions on the continuation for healthy care of your new python. You can reach Struggle Snuggle through his Instagram at strugglesnuggle32257. That's strugglesnuggle32257. So you can get a look at the different type of snakes that he does own. Again, strugglesnuggle32257. His Instagram handle will be in the show notes. Now let's get on with the show. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of the Graveyard Grumbler podcast. I'm your host, Tino Romero Jr., a.k.a. the Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode was actually a listener request. He uh, emailed me just the other day, asked me if I can do this episode for him. And I said, well, of course I can. I'll be more than happy to. So this episode is dedicated to Alex, who emailed me just the other day, who requested the Gitchy Five. I had no idea what the hell the Gitchy Five was. I thought it was like some G-Spot thing. Like, hey, you want to come to the Gitchy Five? Like, I thought it was a swinger club bullshit thing. So I was like, yo, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, in my head, I was thinking, yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, do this. It's not really, it's not really what the pod is about, but hey, I'll be, you, you requested it. I'll listen to the, to the, to my fans and my, and my listeners. So yeah, I'll go ahead and do this episode on the Gitchy Five. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Man, what did I get myself into? It's just going to be an orgy of the Gitchy Five. I mean, it just sounds like it's an orgy. So I looked it up. I was preparing for the worst. Like, I already turned my security settings off. I was allowing the worst of the worst to come up on my browser. And then when I pulled up the Gitchy Five, I was like, oh, it's even worse than what I thought. So what the Gitchy Five is, it is a fucked up murder that occurred in... But we'll just go ahead and get into it. I'm not going to give a real big outline. So this is a dedicated to Alex who requested the Gitchy 5 episode. So we're going to go ahead and get started. So what is the Gitchy 5? On the, evening of, on the evening of November 17th, 1973, five teenagers from Sioux Falls, South Dakota were attacked by a group of three brothers. Four of the teenagers were killed. One was kidnapped and raped. So just right out the gate, I mean, how in the fuck are you just going to kill four people and take one and then rape them? I never understood what the point of rape is. Now, people people can argue tons of way this way, that way, but I just don't understand what rape. Why? Why is that a fucking thing? You know what I mean? But the story gets worse. That's the problem. the The reasoning behind why these these uh, individuals were were murdered, why these four teenagers were murdered, and the one person was raped. It's absolutely ridiculous, and it just doesn't make any sense. It's senseless, like like most murders are. I mean, most of them are senseless, but this one just, just boy, I tell you. So let's continue. Those killed were Roger Esim, who was a 17-year-old male, Stuart Bade, an 18-year-old male, Dana Bade, a 14-year-old male, and Michael Hadrath, a 15-year-old male. Sandra Chesky, which is a 13-year-old female, was raped but survived the attack. Her testimony was instrumental in bringing the perpetrators to justice. Now, sit back and think about it. We have a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 15-year-old who were murdered, two of of whom which were brothers. Why? I mean, you have a group of five kids just trying to chill and relax and probably enjoy a night to themselves. I mean, I'm pretty sure they might have been doing some some stuff that weren't up to par, like maybe drinking or smoking some Buddha, some Chiba, some of that Buddha lovers. But was that a reason for them to get killed, to get murdered in cold blood? So we have an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 13-year-old. We hit every single age that went up to young adult. I mean, minus a 16-year-old, but we have a 13, 14, 15, 17, and 18-year-old. One of them, which was Chesky, Sandra Chesky, who was raped, but she survived the attack. And then you have the other four males who were murdered by these individuals. Boy, I tell you, let's keep going. 
The perpetrators of this slaying were Alan Fryer, a 29-year-old male, David Fryer, a 24-year-old male, and James Fryer, a 21-year-old male of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So we have three brothers who, who took it upon themselves to, I don't know, use the strong arm of the law or decide that they're going to force whatever bullshit they had in mind for their own personal gain. Regardless of the uh, regardless of what these three dumbass brothers decided that they were going to do or the reasoning behind it was unnecessary, ridiculous and completely completely uncalled for. You know, I mean, whenever I do whenever I do podcast episodes like this, whenever I do shit to where people are senselessly murdered, but when when I when I mean senselessly, what I mean by that is I mean that not typical gang violence or somebody that's done a wrong, you know, you know, if, if one person had murdered their, their family member and then the family member who was, who was murdered or the member of that family who was murdered comes and, and, and kills the person who murdered somebody else. You know, I'm not talking about street justice. What I'm talking about is senseless uncalled for murders where innocent people have their lives taken away from small dick energy to motherfuckers. That's what I mean by, uncalled for it just doesn't make any sense to me i mean so i'm not going to get into my 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 personal life but we're we're just gonna i do my personal life when i do when i do lives on on thursdays so what happened what exactly happened on the evening of november 17th 1973 so on the evening of november 17th November 17th, 1973, Harrisburg 7th grader Sandra Chesky accompanied her boyfriend, 17-year-old Roger Eason, to the Gitchie Manitou State Preserve just over the state line in Lyon County, Iowa, with friends Stuart Bad, 18, Mike Hadrith, 15, and Dana Bad, 14. They drove in Stuart Bad's blue van. Gitchie Manitou was well known as a place to hike as well as hang out for beer parties. Okay, so it was a bunch of teenagers. But wait a minute, why was a 13-year-old dating a fucking 18-year-old to begin with? So let me see here. Seventh grader, seventh grader Sandra Chesky accompanied her boyfriend, 17-year-old Roger Eason. Well, that was all fucked up to begin with, but I mean, they didn't need to die because of that. That should have been looked at by the, by the parents before them two being able to go hang out. I'm not accusing her. I'm not accusing him. I'm not accusing anybody. It's just the age difference caught my eye real quick. So, But what's the, what, what's the big deal about them going out to go hang out in the woods and have a beer party? There's nothing wrong with that. Teenagers do it all the fucking time. I mean, when I read, when I, when I, again, when I do these episodes, I find out the, I find out the information just as I'm doing them when I'm doing the, when I'm doing the podcast or recording the podcast, I don't go and read through all the information. I skim through the information, pick out the highlights, pick out the most important stuff. And I drop it in my, in my notes and I start doing my, and I record the podcast. So as I'm as I'm reading about this shit, I get angry and and you see with my emotions as I, as they as they develop because it is real life what's happening right then and there. I'm not I'm not fabricating. I'm not an improv actor. I'm not. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe the shock and obscenities that have occurred in this case. No, I don't do that shit. When I get emotional, when I when you hear me getting angry, it's because I'm legitimately getting angry at what I'm reading. So let's continue. Not long after arriving, as the teens huddled around a campfire, they were confronted by brothers from Sioux Falls, Alan Fryer, 29, James Fryer, 21, and David Fryer, 24, who posed as narcotics officers and blustered about confiscating the teens' marijuana. So you have three 20-year, 20-plus-year-olds, adults. You have three adults hassling a bunch of teenagers because they want to get the smoky smoky and the, and the, and the, and, you know, get the hit a little, a little bit of the reefer. And so instead of saying, yo, you better give me the weed or else, motherfucker. No, they're going to pose as narcotics officers to confiscate the teen's marijuana. I mean, if you wanted the weed that bad, just go and punk them for it. Like, hey, this is my weed now, fool. And then that's the end of it. There's no reason to kill these innocent little kids for just hanging out. There's something, there's something going on with these motherfuckers who think, yo, I'm going to go ahead and kill these people because I can. Again, small dick energy Little men with big guns who think they can actually they can bust a grape in a fruit fight without the guns. These these see people like that who go out and murder innocent kids. And, and I'm going to say in who murder innocent kids. These are the same ones that without their guns are softer 
than Twinkie filling in the summer. That's how soft these guys are. They're 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 bubble wrap soft. They look tough, they feel tough, but when you squeeze them a little bit, they pop. Like I said, they wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. This shit right here just aggravates the piss out of me. Literally. Now I need to go change my underwear and boxers because it irritated the piss out of me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's continue. The Fryer brothers were in Gitche Manitou State Preserve looking for illu- illuminations to poach deer and happened upon the victims sitting around a campfire. David Fryer was sent to spy on the group and reported back to his brothers that the teenagers had marijuana. Ooh, okay, it's the 70s. Everyone had marijuana in the 70s. It's the good shit, that, that good, good. Let me smoke, smoke, that good, good. You know what I mean? So now we have a, we have a, a little dick energy spy who's going to go and rat these people out. It, it, it just, I'm wondering how, I wonder how bad, they, they probably didn't feel bad at all. That's the, that's the thing. Let's continue. The brothers, the brothers conferred and decided to take the victim's marijuana by impersonating narcotics officers. Testimony at the trial indicated that the friars apparently thought narcotics agents were allowed to indiscriminately kill drug users. So for those of you who are in the back, my microphone not, might not be turned up all the way. But let me, let me repeat this for the people in the back. Testimony at the trial indicated that the friars apparently thought narcotics agents were allowed to indiscriminately kill drug users. So I don't know if that's just their ridiculous, obscured perception of what the law does, or do they legitimately feel that that is that what has been demonstrated by law enforcement in that in that era. Either way, it's wrong. I mean, it, it's a fucked up way of thinking. Uh, you, they, they could indiscriminately kill drug users, but they're drug users themselves. So why didn't they kill themselves? So disclaimer, uh, anybody who is actually thinking about suicide or self-harm, please do not do it. Phone your local helpline, get some help. I mean, even if you're just talking to them over the phone, it's better to talk to someone than not talk to anyone and have to deal with these issues alone. It's very troubling. It's very difficult. I understand that. Trust me. I understand firsthand how difficult it is, but trust me, there's someone out there who, who would, who will be willing to listen to you. And if you don't want to speak to someone, you know what? Just go ahead and email me graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Again, that's graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. If you, if you would just want to email me and, and talk about something, Hey, I'll be more than happy to answer you. It might take me a little bit cause I do work graveyard shifts. So, but I will get back to you. If you're just feeling down and out, I will email you back. I email, I, 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 I try to interact with everyone that, that I come across unless you're a troll and then I'm going to treat you accordingly if you're a troll, but if you're legitimately looking for help and you're seeking for something, I will try to direct you in the best direction that I possibly can. So let's get back to the show. That's just my disclaimer. But I mean, if you, if they're drug, they're drug users themselves. So why not off themselves? Why not take their own lives? If they think that they could indiscriminately murder drug users. Isn't that ironic? That's like that's like an oxymoron. It's a hypocrite. That's that you see that a lot when it comes to people justifying wrong. Well, I thought I can do this, so why? Did, so you you thought you can do it, but you're not going to do it to yourself, huh? Oh, I tell you. Let's continue. After getting shotguns from their truck, Alan James and David Fryer positioned themselves on a ridge overlooking the victims and opened fire. After getting shotguns from their truck. Allen and David Fryer positioned themselves on a ridge overlooking the victims and opened fire. Oh, I tell you. Roger Eason was killed immediately and Stuart Bad fell, fell wounded. At this point, the remaining teenagers took cover in the trees. So these two assholes just overlooked the ridge, opened up fire, killed one guy immediately Wounded one, I'm pretty sure fatally. I mean, all five died. One was fatally wounded. And then the remaining three teenagers, the remaining, yeah, remaining three teenagers went went looking for cover in the trees. So these guys didn't even come up gangster and say, yo, if you move, I'm going to blast you. No, these motherfuckers hid from over a ridge and decided to open fire like they were some wannabe goddamn snipers, some cowboys back in the old days assaulting and murdering Native Americans. 
because that's exactly what happened back in the old days, back in the early days when the whole cowboys and Native American shit happened. The, the cowboys would hide over a ridge and wait for the Native Americans to trot along and then they just fucking blast them. So they have a similar energy here saying, yo, we're going to go ahead and do this. Now, I'm not I'm not insinuating that's what this case was. It just reminded me. I've been doing a lot of research and reading on, on, on Native American history and how ridiculous it is. But they can't even walk up to him and say, yo, we're going to get gangster with it and give me that weed. No, they're going to hide and and open fire on these innocent kids because they they they're they're just stupid. Bottom line, the friars ordered the teenagers to come out of the tree. So Michael Hardeth and Sandra Chesky emerged together and asked the friars who they thought they were. Alan Fryer then shot Hadrath in the arm and said that they were police officers. Hadrath and Chesky fell to the ground but were forced to get up by Alan Fryer, who said they were playing dead. Of course they're playing dead. They're trying to survive. They're trying to survive this ridiculous assault. And the, 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 the audacity of them to say that they were law enforcement. Alan Fryer then shot Hadrath in the arm and said that they were police officers. So these, well, that kid just got shot for questioning who the fuck these guys were. Two, two, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring three good old boys in coveralls and Pendletons or it walked them and they're looking, you know, with their hat all fucked up with tobacco hanging out their mouth. And they're over here saying, yeah, we're, we're law enforcement. Boy, I tell you. It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't understand the the senseless murders and and the audacity of of people when it comes to stupid shit like this. I really don't. Hey Alex, by the way, thank you so much for the suggestion. I didn't think that this episode was going to get me all riled up the way it is, the way that it did, and it, oh, it's it's gotten me. And I appreciate you very much for requesting this episode. Thank you so much, man. I had no idea about the about the Gitchy Five. I didn't know I didn't know anything about it. So I appreciate you throwing this in 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 the box in the email box. Let's continue. Alan and David Fryer forced Dana Bad, Michael Hadrath, and Sandra Chesky along a trail away from the campfire. Sandra Chesky was tied up and placed in the victim's van. During this time, Stuart Bad was also brought back to the van from where he had been wounded. So we're going to tie the gal up. We're going to tie a 13-year-old up. Let's tie her up and throw her in the back of the van. Yeah, that's not going to traumatize her. I mean, she's already just saw a couple of her friends get shot and one murdered. Yeah, that, that, let's go ahead and tie her up and throw her in the back of the van. And then let's go ahead and throw Stuart Bad back in the van, who's who, in the back of the van, who is bleeding from a gunshot wound. Yeah, that's not going to traumatize her anymore. That's fine. No, 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 uh, no worries. Alan, Fry, Alan Fryer then drove away in the van with Sandra Chesky, leaving Stuart Bad, Dana Bad, and Michael Hatrath standing near the road with James and David Fryer. After Alan left, James and David Fryer killed the three teenagers with shotguns. So they murdered him. They, they, they executed these three teenagers. So these the, the, the two of the three brothers decided that, yo, we're not going to take care of it. We're, we're not going to handle this. We're going to take care of it. We're not going to hassle with this anymore. So they executed Dana Bad, Michael Hadrath. I'm sorry, Stuart Bad, Dana Bad, and Michael Hadrath standing near the road with James and David Fryer. After Alan left, James and David Fryer executed the three teenagers with their shotguns. I mean, what, what's the reasoning for murdering somebody like that? With no witnesses? They felt that it was in their, in their constitutional rights because these kids were smoking weed that they ended up taking. To smoke themselves, by the way. Oh, again, it would have been a whole lot easier and a lot less ridiculous if they would have just punked him for the weed and said, give me the weed and that's it. Nope. Nope. Let's go ahead and murder three out of the five kids. Murder them in cold blood for no reason. For no reason at all. Let's continue. Alan Fryer told Sandra Chesky that he was a police officer while they drove around and that he was the boss. <laughs> Alan Fryer told Sandra Chesky that he was a police officer and that he was the boss. Dumbass. And the other two 
would do as he instructed them. After a short time, James and David Fryer met them on the road in the pickup. So you have one guy who's obviously the ringleader. The, I guess I'm, I'm figuring he's the older brother out of those two. They decided, yo, I'm the boss now. You call me Rod Stewart because I am the boss. Or is it Bruce Springsteen? One of those two. One of those guys are called the boss. I, I don't remember. I don't like either one of their music. It's not that good to me. So after those, after the two other brothers murdered those three other kids, they met with the boss in up the road in the pickup. Huh. I wonder what's going to happen after that. Alan Fryer then drove away in the van with Sandra Chesky, leaving Stuart Bad, Dana Bad, and Michael Hadrath standing near the road. Oh shit! I already, I already, I already read that. How did that get in there? My apologies on that. So Alan and Sandy got into the truck, then and then the group drove to a farm. At this point, James Fryer raped Sandra Chesky. Early the, early the next morning, Alan filled the vehicle's tank with gasoline from a large fuel tank and then drove Chesky home, still under the pretense of being a police officer, saying that Sandra was too young to get busted. So Alan and Sandy got into the truck, and the group drove to a farm. At this point, James Fryer raped Sandra Chesky. Early the next morning, Alan filled the vehicle's tank with gasoline from a large red fuel tank, then drove Chesky home, still under the pretense of being a police officer, saying that Sandra was too young to get busted. So we're going to rape this young gal. She's going to witness four of her friends get murdered. And we're going to let her go. I'm glad that they let her survive for the fact they can put you assholes in prison for life. Again, At least that's what I'm assuming. The next morning, a Sioux Falls couple who was out test driving a new car came upon the bodies of the four teens, the, the four teens in a tall grass at Gitchie Manitou and called a police officer. Roger Eastham's body was, wasn't discovered until the following day because it was left lying by the campfire, the site of the first encounter. So we have... All we have bodies that were found left on the side of the road. They didn't even bother trying to get them off to the side of the road. These guys were found when a couple was out test driving a new car. Could you imagine just coming on the road and just finding a bunch of dead bodies there? Pretty ridiculous if you ask me. But no one's asking me. No one, no one, no one usually does. They don't really like my, my answers or my opinions after that. Roger Eason's body wasn't discovered until the following day because it was left lying by the campfire. The site of the first encounter. At least it wasn't a week or a month or a few months or a year before they found the bodies of the victims. At least it was the very next day. That way they can start the process and get the process and we're, and we're going to get some sort of answer. So the, the, the caption that I read, we're starting the investigation now. Obviously they let Sandra go for whatever reason, either was in her, in their good heart. She convinced them or they realized that they already fucked up. Whatever the reason is, I'm glad that they let her go because number one, she didn't need to die. Just like the rest of her friends didn't need to die, but at least they let her go. And hopefully justice would be served. Let's continue. Because of Sandra's composure and bluntness about the rape and all the details she remembered, especially well for someone at such a young age who was 13, some investigators questioned her credibility. She was interviewed many times and passed a polygraph test. Get the fuck out of here. Are you serious right now? Are you serious? You're serious. You're being serious right now. Because of Sandra's composure and bluntness about the rape and all the details she remembered, and because she remembered it very well, and for her being such so young at 13, investigators questioned her credibility? Are you fucking stupid? Boy, I tell you, Alex, I'm telling you, man, the, 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 this episode that you requested, is, it has my Agent Orange acting up right now. I mean, it's a great episode. I'm really glad you suggested this case to me, but I did not know that she was going to get me worked up this bad. Because of her age, they thought she was lying about being raped and watching people get murdered. And some investigators even questioned her credibility, and she was even forced to take a polygraph test to make sure that a 13-year-old 
who was brutally raped and her friends brutally murdered wasn't lying. So they forced her to take a polygraph test. And not only that, she was questioned how many times, I mean, it says here she was interviewed many times. How many times is many times for her to recount and relive the same exact trauma over and over and over because the investigators didn't fucking believe her because she's 13 years old? Are you serious right now? How about we believe the person first, do the investigation, then find out if she's lying, not, not automatically think she's lying. Just, just, just because she's 13 and she's a female? Really? And by the way, I say that because that goes on for a lot of, lot of things. That is one reason, one of the main reasons why rape victims or sexual assault victims do not come forward is because they are f- afraid of not being believed and ridiculed and called a liar for, for exposing or for sharing and, and opening up about what happened to them. You know, and unfortunately, women has been, have been shitted on in this aspect for many years since the beginning of fucking time. And so you're telling me that because she's 13 and she remembered something that happened to her, she might be lying. So let's question her over and over and over and not believe her and even force her to take a polygraph test, even though she knows exactly what happened to her because it happened to her. She saw her friends get murdered. She saw she, she was fucking raped. And we're, and we're gonna, not going to believe her because of that, because she's 13 and because of her composure and bluntness. Maybe she's in shock, man. Maybe she's, you know, severely traumatized. And so her composure is going to be meek and, 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 and toned down. And the blunt is what, what are, is she supposed to sugarcoat it? Like tiptoe around the fact that she was brutally raped by some small dick fucking dumbass. Boy, I tell you, and I apologize for the excessive language. It's just, this, this shit got me heated right now. This shit has me going. It has me heated and I apologize. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the composure the king of podcasts and the king of radio would usually have. But because I am the king, I feel that I can open up emotionally and show you my true emotions when it comes to shit like this. Alex, again, thank you very much for recommending and suggesting this episode. I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Let's continue. On November 29th, 1973, Sandra Chesky was accompanied by Craig Vinson, a Lyon County, Iowa sheriff, as they drove around the countryside looking for the farmhouse where Sandy was held captive and raped. Near Hartford, South Dakota, she recognized the farmhouse by the large red fuel tank that stood next to the garage. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having to go back and drive the route that you re- that you realized that you possibly could have died on? And then going back to the place where you were raped? Yeah, that's not that that's great for for a trauma victim. Let's go ahead and take them back to the exact nerve that that they that they were the exact area and place where their trauma was even created at you know i understand why they did it don't get me wrong i understand why the cop the sheriff drove her back there they we need they need to find the house to make sure you know we can find or not we but they can find the individuals responsible for this shit but man could you imagine the trauma can you imagine the trauma that this that this young gal relived by going back to the same place where she was raped. That's insane, man. The question of why Chesky alone was spared that night has never been completely answered. Again, that's the same thing I was wondering. They killed four out of the five kids. Why not just kill the fifth one? That way they had a better chance of, of just not having this happen. So that's what I'm saying. One of the, probably what I'm thinking is that they started feeling, or one of the guys were feeling guilty and decided to spare this young lady's life, which is, well, I'm glad that they did. You know what I mean? I mean, there's no reason for them to die in the first place, but at least now we, that she was able to go and report, make a report and hopefully get these motherfuckers taken down. Let's continue. The farm was owned by Alan Fryer's employer, a local farmer. By a chance, Alan Fryer then drove in the same blue pickup that was used the night of the murders. Sandy told Sheriff Venison, quote, that's him. That's the boss, end quote. Law enforcement quickly pulled over the truck and arrested Alan Fryer. David and James Fryer were also arrested shortly thereafter. So the farm wasn't even belonged to the Fryer brothers. 
The farm was owned by the Friar by the Friar Brothers employer, a local farmer. Could you imagine having that? Could you imagine thinking that one of your employees is is a decent dude? At least I would think so. I mean, that's why he hired him in the first place. And then to come to find out that you have a sheriff coming to your property because they raped a young lady at your property. Could you I couldn't I couldn't imagine that as an employer having that stigma, having that bad juju on my land. Because some dipshit decided that it was a good idea for them to to rape and some other bullshit. Boy, I tell you. You know, I just, oh my gosh, it's insane, man. It, it, it's insane. I'm glad. I'm really glad that these that these assholes were arrested. I mean, I really am. It is it, just. It would be a shame and really ridiculous if if they were able to go free. I'm. Oh man, I could imagine what's going what's going on with this with this young lady, as she's seen as she's seen the very person that murdered her friends, and raped her. Allen wasn't the brightest bulb, said Terry Johnson, a retired, a retired agent with the Iowa Bureau of Criminal Investigation, who spent long hours on the case, saying, quote, after the boys were gunned down and it was just him and her in the truck, I think he became aware of her as a person rather than just somebody standing out in the woods. She remained calm and they talked and he couldn't bring himself to kill her, end quote. So he, they were, Allen was supposed to kill the young lady after after she was raped and was supposed to be taken home. She was never supposed to make it home. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine knowing that the very person that you were riding in the car with or in the truck with was supposed to kill you, but for some reason spared your life? For some reason, who knows what? Spared her life. But the individual that you were that you were in the car with or in the truck with was supposed to end you, was supposed to take your life, and you weren't supposed to make it out that day. Or for some reason, for some reason, her life was spared. God dang, that's that's crazy. That's super crazy to me. Let's continue. Alan Fryer claimed that Chesky's friends were the ones shooting at him and his brothers the night of the murders and that they accidentally killed someone. By Alan's third interview, he told the truth but was still trying to justify their actions, saying the five teens had been drinking and smoking marijuana and the Fryer brothers wanted to steal it. David Fryer told a similar story and then later changed the story to what really happened. It doesn't matter if they were smoking or drinking it. What does it matter? They're kids. It's weed. It's beer. Get over yourself. You you fucking murder. That's all you are. And you're trying to tell me that they that they attacked you first and shot with what gun, man? There was no gun re- recovered at the scene. Boy, I tell you. But that's one of the things, man. You know, it goes to where if you have if you have one of these things to where you're going to be guilty over something ridiculously horrible. You're going to try to project and say that it was somebody else rather than your own ridiculous small dick energy that committed the crime. You, you try to justify shit by saying, no, but they shot at me first. The fuck out of here. November 30th, 1973, Chesky identified both David and James Fryer in a lineup. Good for her. Good for her. The interview with James Fryer was much different as he immediately turned the blame to his brothers. He also confirmed David Fryer's story, believing the teens had been smoking marijuana, that Alan Fryer was pretending to be a detective, and that Chesky was laughing, having a good time, and willingly had sex with David and James. So that's one of the things that happens a lot, is that when a woman is raped, the the predator... The rapist turns it around and says that the woman willingly had sex. Just because the woman doesn't fight because you're on top and raping her forcefully, does that does that does not mean that the woman legit or the gal willingly had sex, you fucking predator. But they always try to blame the woman. 
they always try to blame the woman on saying that it was her fault, that it was she was she planned on having sex with the individuals. It was her idea. I just went along with it. She's 13 years old, man. You raped her. You're 20-something years old. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, just, just listen to this. James Fryer, he also confirmed David Fryer's story, believing the teens had been smoking marijuana, that Alan Fryer was pretending to be a detective, and that Chesky was laughing, having a good time, and willingly had sex with David and James. Get the fuck out of here. That's so stupid. Willingly had sex. Get, get out of here. James also blamed his brother for killing all four of the teenager boys. James Fryer was serving time in jail during the time of the murders, but was enrolled in a work release program. Instead of going back to jail, David called the jail, impersonating his boss, saying James needed to work an extra shift, and instead, James went off with his brothers. So one of them was already in jail, but was on a work release program, which means, for those of you who don't understand, when you're on a work release program, I don't know if that still happens now, but back in the, in the day, you were in jail, but you were released to go to work. You would work your job, and then after the thing, after the time, you would report back to jail. And if you didn't report back to jail, it would be a violation, your work release violation, and then you would be sentenced and not be able to leave and just serve your time fully without having a work release program. So in this case, what's this, what's this dipshit's name? James Fryer was serving time already, but was in work release. And he called the jail, impersonating his boss. Oh, I'm sorry. David called the jail, impersonating his boss, saying James needed to work an extra shift and instead went off to go murder four kids and rape a young lady. Yeah, that worked out well for you, didn't it, dumbass? Oh, I tell you. It's insane. It, it truly is. Is that you? You we We have... We have instilled programs that, that try to help inmates or convicts or whatever you want to call them, people who are jailed, to try to rehab themselves, to rehabilitate themselves in order to have a more promising recovered future at the end of their terms. But there's some people that you just can't help recover. You can't fix them. And in this case, this jackass is one of them. He's going to miss work or he's going to go to work and then miss going back to jail because he wanted to go party with his brothers. Initially, supposedly wanting to, to go hunting, but instead found, found five teenagers that he can take advantage of instead. Yeah, that's really great. Makes sense, right? Right. Makes perfect sense. Boy, I tell you. Alan and David Fryer were removed from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Lyon County Jail in Rock Rapids, Iowa. James Fryer remained in Sioux Falls because he was currently serving a jail sentence. On December 1st, 1973, all three brothers were arraigned and charged with four counts of murder. Bond was set at $400,000 per, per man, amounting to $100,000 for each boy slain. So wait a minute. Hold on. They were charged. On December 1st, 1973, all brothers were arraigned and charged with four counts of murder. I don't see any counts of rape in there. I don't see any of the two, I don't see two of the three brothers being charged with rape or kidnapping. So what? Because she she's only 13. We're not going to charge these motherfuckers with rape. They raped her. She said they raped her. But we're not going to charge them with it. You know, on a side note, our justice system is really fucked up. It really is. It's absolutely ridiculous. Our uh, our justice system it's hit and miss. You know, it's not even 50-50. It's hit and miss. It's whatever, whatever's going on at the time and whatever it hits and sticks. That, that's, that's, that's the sad part of it. I mean, I don't even know who would want to be a lawyer, let alone a judge. Ridiculous. So let's get to the trial and sentencing of these jackasses, these soft-ass, small-dicked energy brothers. Sandra Chesky's testimony was instrumental as it compromised the bulk of evidence against the Fryer brothers during the 18 months of trial. There were some issues at the trial involving confusion by Chesky, most of which can be attributed to her age at the time, which was 13. What confusion? She, was, she saw somebody get murdered, she was raped, and the brothers, the three brothers had the weapons, and she, she went back exactly to the place. They have the bodies, the brothers were placed at the scene of the crime, she was raped, she was raped, she was raped. I mean... <laughs> 
what what confusion is there at the time of her age? She's 13. She remembered everything. I mean, what do you think? Boy, I tell you. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's stuff like this that I, I legitimately do not know anymore. On February 12th, 1974, David Fryer pled guilty to the open charge of murder, guilty to three charges of murder and one charge of manslaughter. David admitted to killing Stuart Bad. The, the David admitted to killing to <laughs> my brain is going faster than what my mouth can work. My my hamsters are up and running right now. My my uh, my uh, hamsters just took a swig of of uh, death black death coffee or whatever the kind of coffee that my brother gave me to try to kill me. So David admitted to killing Stuart Bad. Okay, the judge sentenced David to life in prison without the possibility of parole. For which he replied, "No." David said, quote, if all my appeals fail, I'll actually write the governor to ask for the death penalty. I won't live out my life in jail. Keeping me locked up for life can't turn around what happened. It can't bring those people back, end quote. Okay, that's probably the most sensical thing that, that this, these guys have ever thought or has ever said in his entire life. Great, but still, you still murder someone. Don't try to say that you're, you're a fucking martyr or you're doing something for, to benefit mankind. You should have been taken out the day that it happened. It shouldn't even have happened. So David Fryer pled guilty to the open charge of murder, guilty of three charges of murder, but I still don't see anything of rape. Why do I, why do I not see anything about any of these brothers being charged with rape? They raped a 13-year-old girl, a child. They raped a fucking child, 13 years old, and none of them's being charged with rape? Oh, I tell you. In 2016, David asked the parole board to overturn the without possibility of parole, and it was denied after a testimony by Chesky and Mike Hadrid's sister, Lynette. Why would you ask to be overturned without with possibility without parole? You're not getting out, homeboy. You you raped and murdered. You raped one gal and you murdered four boys, four kids. And you're asking to have the without possibility of parole overturned? Get the fuck out of here. I'm surprised they didn't do it, to be honest with you. I'm really shocked that that wasn't overturned. Alan Fryer was subject to psychiatric testing and was found fit to stand trial. Good. February 1974, Alan began his trial at the Lyon County County Courthouse. May 20th, 1974, Alan was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to four consecutive life terms in prison. Again, I don't know why we give people four, four consecutive life terms in prison. Again, I am I am an advocate for for the death penalty, and these indiv- and these jackasses were obviously guilty without a doubt. They have all the evidence; everything was placed one hundred percent without a doubt that they did they committed this crime. So why not execute them? Why not send them to the death penalty? Why not first you know one way ticket to to death row? Why do they need four consecutive life sentences when we can save that? that space and give it for someone who committed a lower level crime. You know what I mean? Again, I know a lot of people don't agree with me when it comes to that. I know capital punishment is a real hot topic for a lot of people. I understand that, but that again, this is just my, my personal outtake and view on stuff. That's when, when predators or murderers or people who were convicted and found guilty without a doubt, with 100% evidence that points them and pins them to the, to the horrific crime that they've committed, they, they 100% deserve death penalty or street justice, either or. That, that's just my personal belief on that shit. I guess that's why I wouldn't make a good governor or a good president, huh? <laughs> Let's continue. James Fryer agreed to extradition from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Iowa, but later fought the extradition thinking he might end up back out on the streets. No, man, you you didn't want to leave Sioux Falls, South Dakota because you didn't want to get caught up in jail by one of the family members and get fucked up and then brutally beat down by one of the family members. That's why you fought extradition. It wasn't because you thought you'd end up back on the streets. Shut your scary ass up. You, you fought extradition because you knew very well that if you ended up in an Iowa jail where her family can possibly be, that you would be face stomped with a weight and then used as a human man cushion for penis. <laughs> Who says that? 
a human cushion for penises. Boy, I tell you. I'm going to have to write that one down. Alex, again, thank you so much for suggesting this episode, man. I, I didn't, I never heard of this thing. I, I didn't realize that this was going to get me all, all aggravated and worked up this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. On June 18th, 1974, after Alan Fryer's trial, he and James Fryer escaped from Lyon County Jail, stole a vehicle, and fled the state. They were arrested in Gillette, Wyoming, and brought back to face federal charges. Okay, look. Okay, hold on. I'm not telling you what to do when it comes to escaping, but if you're going to escape, why would you go to the state right next to you? Why would you go to any state near you? Why not flee south? You know, or go go across the border to Canada, hey? Eh? You know what I'm saying, buddy? Out there to Canada, man. Why would you go to one state over? I believe I believe uh, Wyoming is like one or two states right next to Iowa. I don't know exactly. But why would you just go over, you know, right close to where you're at? It doesn't make any sense to me. If you're gonna, if you're going to make a break for it, then make a fucking break for it and take off to where you're not going to be caught. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. So they were caught in, where were they? In Wyoming. So they drove one state over. They drove one state over to Wyoming and thought that they were going to be in the clear. That, that doesn't make any sense, man. But I mean, I'm not telling you what to do, but at the same time, at the same time though, at the same time, at the same time, though, I don't know. Me personally, I would have fled way down south to where it would have taken them longer to find me than versus going over to the next few, the next state over. Oh, I tell you. But you know, I'm glad that they were arrested in Gillette, Wyoming, and brought back to face federal charges. They don't deserve to be out ever, 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 ever. Let's continue. James' trial began December 3rd, 1974 in Lyon County at Dickinson County, Iowa, where a state psychiatrist determined James had an IQ of 85 and poorly controlled his behavior. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Could you imagine on top of being, being, being told that you're, uh, <laughs> you're being charged for these horrific crimes and that you're competent to stand trial? To add more insult to injury, the uh, psychiatrist is going to throw that out there. Oh, by the way, this uh, this uh, this <laughs> this guy has an IQ of eighty five and poorly controlled his behavior. So, with an IQ of eighty five, he's just too dumb to control his actions, but he's still competent and fit to stand trial. He's he's knowledgeable enough or cognitive. He has enough cognitive function to understand right and wrong. So we're going to go ahead and keep him on trial, but he's a dumb motherfucker by having an IQ of 85. Boy, I tell you. No, I'm not dogging anybody out. If if you have a low IQ, you're not out murdering people. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not dogging anyone out. So I believe now that I come think about it, I think a lot of people have an IQ of 85. So let me retract that whole thing. I think 85 is at the very, very low end of of having being con, being considered having an, a decent IQ, but still, I think they threw that in there to make it seem that he's not he's not incompetent or that he doesn't have a low IQ level. I don't even know what my IQ level is. I think my IQ might be peanuts. <laughs> no, not penis. Peanuts. You know, salt peanuts. Boy, I tell you. December 30th, 1974, James Fryer was found guilty of three charges of first-degree murder and one charge of manslaughter. Because James was going to serve life in jail without parole, the district attorney believed there was no need to subject Chesky to a rape trial. Um, I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, this asshole should still be charged with rape. He should still be put in, uh, put that on his, on his jacket. That way, when he goes into prison, they realize what he did to a child and he gets fucked up. I mean, what do you think? So because James was going to serve, was going to be serving life in jail without parole, well, life in prison without parole. I don't know why they say keep saying jail. Because James was going to be serving life in prison without parole, district attorney believed there was no need to subject Chesky to a rape trial. Do you agree with that? I mean, if she would have to go through a rape trial, that means she would have to stand 
She would have to be in the same courtroom as her predator, as her, as her rapist. She would have to stand trial. She would have to go on the witness stand to testify in front of all these people. So let me know what you think. Graveyard Grumbler at mail.com. Graveyard Grumbler podcast on Instagram. Graveyard Grumbler podcast on Good Pods and Graveyard Grumbler podcast on Podchaser. Leave me a message there. I prefer, I mean, that, I even have Podbean. That's where I, I, I drop my episodes at is Podbean. So Graveyard Grumbler podcast on the Podbean app. Go ahead and leave me a, a message on there. What do you think? Do you think that because, the, because James was going to be serving life in prison without parole, that it was the right decision not to charge James with rape just to avoid Chesky being on trial so she wouldn't have to be in front of her rapist and relive this horrible account of her rape. Let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumbler podcast on Podbean. All three of the Friar brothers were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, and all appeals fell through for all Friar brothers. Alan is serving... Alan is serving his life sentence at the penitentiary in Anamosa, Iowa. David and James are currently serving their life sentence at the Fort Dodge Correctional Facility in Fort Dodge, Iowa. I still think that they should have been uh, unalive. They should have been dead. Dead, I tell you, fucking dead. They should have been on on death row, given the death penalty, 100%. I don't think think animals like that. I can't even call them animals. They're lower than animals. Whatever, whatever is the lowest form of, of life that there is, like they're fucking mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are useless, by the way. Did you know that the mosquitoes have no natural or no nature benefit to, to the world? When I first heard that, I read about that. And I was like, nah, mosquitoes, animals are created. Everything's created for a purpose. No, apparently whoever created mosquitoes fucked up on that one. They should have broke the mold when they thought about making the first one. Mosquitoes have no use. We have no use for mosquitoes in the world. They just, they're just fucking pest. I want to kill them all. But they, they, these, 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 these uh, mosquito bitches should be, should be uh, unalive. They should be on death row, given the death penalty. They shouldn't have to serve life in prison. They shouldn't have that luxury of being alive when they, when they, when they murdered four kids. You know, Hoba Grumbler, they're, they're spending their life in prison. Yeah, but they're alive. They're, they're still alive. And these four kids who were taken away from their, from their regular life, their daily lives, they're, 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 they weren't even, they, were, they, they, they haven't even started experiencing life yet. And they're taken away from the world, from their family, from everything that they knew, just, just, just snatched away. But we're going to give them four, we're going to give them life in prison. We're gonna we're gonna allow them to lie. Uh, we're gonna allow them to live, even though they murdered four people and raped another one and was supposed to kill her as well. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that one bit. Graveyard Grumbler final rap again, Alex. Thank you so much for suggesting this episode. Again, I didn't know anything about this. I never even heard of it. So when I started doing the episode, or when I started doing the research, I didn't really look too much into it. I just did my research, threw it in my notes and said, you know, let's go for it. And when I did it, oh, I tell you, this shit got me all aggravated, all hyped up. I was wearing a long sleeve shirt. And when I started getting all hyped up and reading, I had to change into a short sleeve shirt because I was getting all hot and bothered and not in a good way either. <laughs> so I appreciate the, the suggestion. I really do. Thank you so much. If you have any more, any one of my listeners, feel free to email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com and leave a suggestion for an episode. If, if it fits the criteria of my pod, I'll be more than happy to do it. No problem at all. I'll even email you back and let you know uh, I, that I'll do it. I had another episode planned, but since Alex reached out to me suggesting this episode or requesting this episode, I was like, yo, yeah, I'll get it done this Friday, man. I'll have, I'll have it released this Friday. So shout out to Alex for suggesting the Gitchy Five. I appreciate that so much, man. Thank you. Graveyard Grumbler's final rap. Although she survived the the ordeal, life was difficult for Chesky after the murders. Law enforcement initially suspected Chesky of knowing more than she had admitted. People gossiped, spreading rumors, and she survived because she was in on the murder. Get the fuck out of here. Really? Really? We're going to take her surviving a horrendous rape as her being in on the murder? I'm telling you, man, people just can't be satisfied with one thing or the other. 
she she was she was brutally raped. Okay, we need justice for her. Well, why did she survive? Oh, because she was in on it. What? Do you even hear yourselves right now? What? Could you imagine surviving a horrendous experience like that? The trauma that follows it. And then people are giving you shit about it because you survived? I mean, you survived and and you're getting shit for it? Oh my God. What is wrong with the world today? Wouldn't, wouldn't we want to embrace this young lady and help her through this traumatic experience and not blame her and think that she was conspiring, that she was a co-conspirator? But we're going to say that she was in on it and make her life miserable, even though she's suffering every day with a traumatic, traumatic memory. Or tra- the memory of a traumatic experience that happened. She was brutally raped by two dudes, two adults. And she saw a couple of her friends get murdered in front of her, right in front of her eyes. And we're going to blame her that she was a part of it? The fuck out of here. There was no counseling offered for Chesky, who became known as the Gitchy Girl. Classmates at Harrisburg shunned her, told... (laughs) Get me the fuck out of here. Classmates at Harrisburg shunned her, told to do so by their parents, and she dropped out a few months after the incident. So the parents told their kids to shun this girl because of whatever reason. And it got so bad for her, she had to drop out of school a few months after the incident. Get the fuck, are you serious right now? Whatever happened to let's embrace each other, let's help each other through trauma. No, there was no counseling. We're not going to offer counseling to a, to a gal who now has... Horrible PTSD because of a brutal rape that she endured. So now she's trying to get back to life, but back to normal, her life, to try to be a regular, productive member of society and, and push the, the, the horrible experience behind her. But because we have jackass parents who can't forgive and forget and, and, and just help people go through traumatic stuff, we're going to label, let's label her the gitchy girl. And let's ignore her and shun her like she's dirty, like she's tainted or something because the parents said so. And we're going to, it's going to be so bad that we're going to force her to drop out of school. Really? Really? Oh, I tell you. That's, that's insane to me. So the, the, the lady was, the, the Chesky was, was asked a couple questions. I, I don't know exactly when, but this is, oh, it's in 2013. So she said, horrible. The soft-spoken wife, mother, and grandmother said in 2013 when asked how her life was after the incident. Ashamed alone. I felt all of that. That is so sad that she had to go through that alone. That she had no one to look up to. That she had no support from her community. No support from friends. No one to help her out because she was raped. And people thought she was in on the fucking rape. Are we? Are, we, are this? This is how this is how we treat people now. Yeah, pretty much. It was it was a rhetorical question, by the way. Can you imagine surviving something so horrible, living a long life, but then still not feeling valued or worth anything because people label you with one thing and shun you? Ashamed alone, I felt all of that horrible experience to try to get through her normal life, said the said Chesky. It doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't, but who am I? I mean, I'm just the king of podcasts, king of radio. Giving my 1.3 cents into the story. <sighs> crazy to me. It's crazy. It really is. Chesky said she finally chose to tell her story in 2013, mainly for her family's sake, but also to remind people that she and the others were nothing more than victims that night. 100% victims. She was a victim of something horrible that should never have happened. But it did. And instead of helping her heal and giving her support and love, they shunned her and made her life a living hell. I don't get it. I don't know if I missed something or am I not in with the in crowd or what? 
but something like that should never have happened. It, it should never, ever, ever have happened. But again, it, it's insane. It's insane. Boy, I tell you. So that's the end of the, that, that's going to be the end of the episode there. I, I, I have nothing else left to say other than that the brothers got off easy since all they had to do was serve life in prison. They should have been given the death penalty. I mean, in my honesty, I mean, all honesty, they should have been taken out the same way that they take, they took out the kids, including the rape. But I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm a man of, uh, who believes in capital punishment. If the guilty party is found guilty without a doubt, 100% guilty without a reasonable doubt. Alex, thank you again for, for suggesting this episode. I do greatly appreciate it. I really, really do. It was an awesome case to read and, and talk about. I, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And for anybody else, who any of my listeners, if you have any suggestions, please email me. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumbler podcast on Instagram or Podbean. Just shoot me a message. I'll be more than happy to, to answer you about it. No problem. So I, I received a, a piece of audio a piece of audio a while ago that I still I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate inside of my of my podcast. It was given to me by a very a very awesome person, Sarah from Toronto. I still have the audio, and I'm trying to figure out. I'm waiting for more people to give me more audio about bizarre shit that's happened to them, and I'm trying to put it all together to put it on to where my listeners are actually speaking on on an incident that occurred, and I would love to put it on to make like a 30 minute episode. I don't have enough. Uh, I don't have enough audio clips just yet to make that episode. I have not forgot about the audio clip, Sarah. I listen to it occasionally or every so often. So I can try to encourage people. And, and I, every time I listen to it, I try to put something together to it. it it's, it's a really awesome piece of audio. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sending it in. So if anybody has any bizarre, scary, abnormal, crazy things that's happened to them, send me an audio through my email, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, and I will put it in together in one episode. And I'm going to make my little comments on it and make that into just a, a special little episode. I, but I need more audio. I, come on, you guys, interact with me. Send me some audio. Sarah sent me. She understood the assignment. And for those of you who like TikTok. So I still have it sitting there and it is burning a hole. It's seriously just catching fire on my, in my email because I want to publish it. I want to make an episode out of that so badly, but I don't have enough audio to make this episode. So if a lot of, you know, a few more people send me in some audio of them, of some crazy, bizarre things that have occurred to them, even if it's somebody that they know that they, that occurred to somebody, a friend, a family, record your audio, quick little audio on the phone. It doesn't matter the quality of it. I mean, as long as I can understand what you're saying, I can work with that piece of audio. Just send it to me and I'm going to make a little special episode. That's going to be, I have an idea for it, but I just need more audio clips to be sent in to me. That way I can, I can make the special episode that I've been wanting to make now for a long time. I, again, Sarah, I haven't forgot about the audio. I have it sitting on here, my, my, my hard drive. It's literally just burning a hole on my hard drive because I want to publish this special episode so badly, but I don't have enough audio clips from my listeners to make the full episode. So on that note, if you have anything that has happened to you to or happened to you or a family member or a friend that's scary, bizarre, trippy, and just made you go, what the fuck is going on? Record it, send it to me, and I'm going to make an episode about it. And if you don't, if you don't want your voice on, if you don't want your voice on, on the podcast, just write it out for me through email and I'll read it on the podcast and I'll, and I'll add it to the episode. So on that note, if you're interested in joining my Patreon for more episodes, for uh, episodes that are too graphic to release on the regular pod, please, the link will be in the, in the show notes. Join it. It's $5 a month. You get a few, you get a couple stories, you get a few episodes. And I put, I try to put them out as much as possible, depending on my work schedule. Like today, I am going to be putting out some stories for the, for the Patreon. I'm a little, you know, work has been eating me up because I, I do work a full-time job. <laughs> So I, I try to do it when I'm off on my days off, but then being, you know, having an everyday life, it, it, I, it, I, I've pushed very hard to make sure that my customers and my pod are taken care of appropriately. And I release on a, on a steady, consistent schedule, but with, with my regular life and my work life, I, I, it's been really, you know, stuff delays just a few days. So I will be getting stuff out. I promise you, you're going to get a fun fun-filled month of November of crazy shit coming on the, on the Patreon. And if you're interested in joining in, I have one tier only. It's five bucks a month. 
Again, you get a bunch of episodes and I do release a shitload of episodes a month. It might be one big dump at the end of the, during the time or spread out, but I will guarantee that I will have a few episodes out every month. So on that note, I appreciate everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. Again, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, feel free to email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, graveyardgrumblerpodcast on Instagram or Podbean. Just send me a message requesting the episode that you want. And if it works with the, with the thing, again, if it has to do with any true crime, cold case, paranormal, any kind of shit like that, hey, I'll, I'll be more than happy. But if it has to do with like sex or or diesel trucks or cars, yeah, it, I, I'm going to have, you know, it, we'll have to reevaluate to see if it fits the criteria of the podcast. But if you're listening to the pod, you probably already know what, what kind of material I like to put out. So I appreciate everybody from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so, so much. And as always, good morning, good day, good night, goodbye. Today's episode is sponsored by Struggle Snuggles Ball Pythons. Struggle Snuggles is a small hobbyist breeder who wants to share the joy of ball pythons with new and experienced snake enthusiasts. Struggle Snuggle offers different types of morphs and standard non-morph pythons. Struggle Snuggle will offer insight on the first-time python owners and is available via email for questions on the continuation for healthy care of your new python. You can reach Struggle Snuggle through his Instagram at strugglesnuggle32257. That's strugglesnuggle32257. So you can get a look at the different type of snakes that he does own. Again, Struggles Snuggle 32257. His Instagram handle will be in the show notes. This is the end. This is the end. This is the end. You should Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Grumbler.